My guest today is kind of a big deal in the keto community. Dr. Ryan Lowry is the CEO of ketogenic.com, the creator of the ketogenic mastery certification, author of the ketogenic Bible, and the president of the Applied Science and Performance Institute among other things. Over his career, Ryan has published more than 150 papers, abstracts, and book chapters on human performance and sports nutrition, and has truly dedicated his life to educating the masses about ketogenic nutrition. There are so many other accolades and accomplishments behind his name, but I want to get right into the conversation. I'm Callie Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. You know, of course, when it comes to talking all things keto, you are one of the first guests to come to mind because I think you're truly like one of the modern forefathers of keto. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I'm I'm excited to chat with you. I appreciate it. We haven't had the chance to meet in person, but we originally connected on social media like in what I consider the early stages of Instagram keto. And I was trying to figure out when it would have been date wise. And it had to be before 2017, because that's when you published your book and which it's called the ketogenic Bible, which truly it is the Bible I recommend and reference all the time. So I mean, it was very cool to connect so early on. And since then, keto has absolutely exploded as has your career. So I'd love to know, just to kick us off, how in the last few years, as your career has blown up so much, you've managed to keep yourself well while wearing so many different hats and keeping so many different balls in the air? Um, Honestly, I think think it centers around... Uh, a, a great support system. Um, I think you can only keep yourself well as as well as your environment is. And for me, that's a big part. And one of the things I recognize kind of growing up and coming up, and I realized this very early on in my career, thankfully, is you have to surround yourself with a good environment. So I have some really supportive friends. I have an incredible family that's there uh, to support me. So that's that's first and foremost. Um, and then second is just grounding myself in gratitude. Like so often we try and chase this crazy future. Like I would have never imagined if you would have said five years ago where you're at today, I would have never imagined it. Um, but so often we get wrapped up in this concept of trying to fix the past and worrying about it or trying to plan so much for the future. And I love, I love people with big vision and I, I encourage people to do that but don't forget to stay grounded in the, in the gratefulness of today. And that's something that I've always been reminded of that, listen, if you can ground yourself in gratitude and be appreciative of, of the fact that you woke up today, like you're going to have a pretty damn good time uh, enjoying this life because you never know what tomorrow brings, but you, you have today and take that for what it is. Absolutely. That's a very stoic mentality, but uh, oh, what's the, I was going to say, you use the five minute journal a lot, which I feel like is really good for that, uh, that gratitude. So how did you originally make your way to keto? Because I really feel like you were in modern times, one of the kind of first people on social media, especially in doing some of the most recent research. So how did that journey look for you? Yeah. So it really started when 
crazy enough, when I was in middle school, um, my grandmother passed away unexpectedly. Um, and that kind of took a big toll on my family. And for me, it kind of left me with this personal agenda of, I didn't want other people to go through that same type of suffering. And I realized that nutrition was that avenue that I wanted to make a change. So I originally was thinking, oh, I'm going to be this physical therapist and physical therapists are great. But for me, it was like having a bigger impact. And I figured I could do that through the power of nutrition. And that's what led me to really start studying nutrition as a whole. I always was taught, oh, you need to eat all these carbohydrates, especially growing up being an athlete. I was like, I need to eat a ton of carbohydrates. And it wasn't until I, I came across one of our friends, uh, Dr. Dom Diagostino, he was doing research on keto and, and uh, these epileptic seizures and these Navy SEAL divers. And I was like, what is, this is a completely different way of thinking. Like, what the heck? I, of course, you've heard of Atkins and all this stuff. But I was like, why isn't this talked about more if it's having these effects? And that just led us down to this rabbit hole where back in 2012, we ran the first study ever looking at, can you gain muscle on a well-formulated ketogenic diet? And that was the first time Jacob or myself embarked on keto ourselves. We messed up a million times um, and it was, it was brutal early on, but it just, it just piqued my interest. And since then we've been studying it. And that was when you started personally doing keto as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. The first time I ever did keto, um, I tell people this all the time. The first time I ever did keto, I did it completely wrong. Do not follow the way I did it. Um, <laughs> I ate keto chocolate mousse for three meals a day. I thought, oh, it's just a super high fat diet. Nothing else in the world matters. So I just, just took heavy cream, would, would mix it up with dark unsweetened cocoa powder, a little bit of sweetener, a little bit of protein powder, put it in the, in the fridge and it would turn into the best mousse possible. The problem was it was void of all nutrients, right? Like didn't have a great electrolyte balance. Micronutrient content was awful. And I was probably eating 3000 calories per mousse, but uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a hard lesson to be learned. It tasted great, but it was a hard lesson to be learned. Well, which is exactly why the resources that you guys offer on ketogenic.com and you know social media are so important because I really advocate for a positive initial experience with keto. And I think that so often keto gets a bad rap because people try with great intentions to kind of like YOLO it and not do keto as is right for them. And you don't feel well, or electrolytes are off and, you know, so many other, and then you're left with a bad taste in your mouth and never come back to it. So that initial experience is, yeah, I'm glad you found, <laughs> found your yeah, way. Yeah, hundred percent. So I would love to know about, like you building your brand and your business, because obviously there was ketogenic.com and that has grown. And where does uh, the facility fall within that? For sure. So um, we first started uh, when we were in academics, we started teaching uh, at the University of Tampa. And very quickly, we realized this wasn't where we wanted to have our, our big vision. Um, and when I say we, I mean, Dr. Jacob Wilson and I. And we basically said, you know, we want to have a big impact on the world and we can't do this in this environment. We, we didn't have the freedom to kind of do the research that we wanted to do. People were still hating on keto at the time. So we said, you know, we're going to build our own facility and we're going to make sure that when we do research, it can get out to people very quickly because, you know, in, in academia, typically the way it is, and most people don't know this, is you do a research project 
from the time you get the results of that research project to the time it hits the headline or the big the big news article is probably three to four years. It's crazy how long that is. And like how many things happened between that time? And we wanted to say, screw that, condense the window down a little bit. Like, like why don't we, when we get results, we want to be able to share it. And so we created Aspie um, with a, a mission to basically bridge the gap between science and practical application. Um, and obviously our, our interest in kiajank.com is very similar. And so now I think big vision where we have on both of them is to truly improve metabolic health. And I think it's, it's an uphill battle for us. And it's something that we'll continue to do. Obviously keto's always kind of been an uphill battle, but kind of changing the conversation, because I think a lot of times, um, Jacob and I were actually just talking about this today. There was, um, a video of a, of a celebrity who's doing this weight loss challenge. And I said, you know, wait, I said, weight loss is great. And I said, it's fine and dandy, but it shouldn't be the main marker we're looking at anymore. And it's tough because everyone's claiming, I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. And we're judged by that thing that we all hate, which is the scale. And so we want to change the way we view success. And that comes with figuring out a way to truly measure metabolic health and then provide improvements on how to improve metabolic health and really help people age well. Yes, longevity. And I say it all the time, when we just focus on the things that make us feel our best, the weight loss is a healthy side effect of that. So when we're optimized metabolically, so the conversation of metabolic health in terms of COVID complications has been huge. And something that I feel has been dramatic, well, as I think you agree, dramatically overlooked in the media and public health recommendations. But the majority of the research really shows that, you know, the people who we're seeing are being reported as healthy. I mean, that's based on often external judgments, not a measure of metabolic health leading to the complication. So what have you guys found, if anything, in your research related to COVID and metabolic health, ketogenic nutrition? Yeah, I think there's, uh, the data is pretty overwhelming that the more metabolically healthy you are, the less likely you are to have significant effects from it. And, and sadly, the way that this, this virus or this pandemic has played out so far is it's preyed on our most metabolically sick individuals. Um, and I hope through all of this, as, as catastrophic as it has been and in multiple ways, um, I hope through all of this, there's a, there's a bright outcome of us saying, hey, we have a metabolic health crisis on our hands. And we were all, the entire world was just exposed to something that brought that to light. Uh, and I hope people realize that. And, and sadly, I think over the course of the last two years, metabolic health has taken a huge hit. A huge, so you have this virus that preys on metabolic health. And then for the next two years, you, we expose ourselves to situations in which metabolic health deteriorates, not what it would normally deteriorate, probably what it would what would happen in 10 years happened in a two year time span. And now it's up to us and people like you and I and, and, and educators and people who are inspiring this conversation to go out and say, it's time to reverse this real quick. We need to throw on the brakes hard and say, all right, we know that 
2022 is right around the corner and, and everyone, that's a time everyone wants to change. It needs to be a better, bigger effort than ever before. And again, we're not talking, oh, let's lose 50 pounds in 50 days. We're talking about truly making your metabolic health a priority and figuring out a way to really become what we call pandemic proof for the future. Oh, I love that pandemic proof. Well, and you're exactly right. This is a epidemic that has been existing and we've been able to sweep it under the rug and we adapt with medications instead of getting to like the root of the problem. I mean, I could, we should have a whole other episode about type two diabetes, but, um, you know, metabolic health is a comorbidity for millions of things. This is just the thing we no longer could ignore. And I think you're right. Unfortunately, just with being isolated and, you know, not having the social interaction, not having our organized sports access to our gym, it compromised people's metabolic health in in an even greater way. So I really hope conversations like this, you know, open the doors to bring it in the right direction. And I mean, platforms like yours, I think also the research thing, you guys really are kind of rewriting an outdated model of academic research, trying to decrease the timeline. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. You know, we have these conversations and people are like, well, you know, what is this the best kept secret? Why don't people know about it? And part of it is because the the data is always one step behind and the education of physicians, for example, how long does it take for, I mean, I'd love to know what you learned about in education, in terms of nutrition, people aren't educating in a traditional sense about ketogenic nutrition. It's maybe brushed upon with ketoacidosis and things that are very irrelevant to what you're doing. Right. It's, it's a very important conversation because you look at things that are progressing really fast, right? Like right now, the big conversations around this metaverse and like, we're, we're going to be living in alternative dimensions and we have cryptocurrency and all these different things. And that's like the financial aspect of things are just moving at a, at a sky, like a really fast rate, but like where we're still stuck in nutrition and, and health and wellness. It's like, how do we get them to innovate and them to be in the future? And yeah, wearables and those types of things can be great, but we need to get to the reality of like, how do we address advances in research? How do we address advances in nutrition? We're stuck in this old dogmatic view of, oh, fat's bad and all these, all these other things, or, oh, you need to do 60 minutes of long duration, steady state cardio. Like these are all things that have been around for the last 50 years. Like let's bring about new research that's, that's coming to light and accelerate that to make more rapid advancements that we're seeing in other areas of our life. Yeah. Well, and it's like the definition of insanity within nutrition and, and even, you know, exercise approaches, which I will, as long as you're moving your body, I really, that's number one. Like I could care less in what form, like I always say walking is one of the most underrated forms of movement, but you know, we're spinning our wheels in that. Yeah. Things really haven't changed for the last 50 years. And it's obviously not working. We're getting sicker. We're getting fatter. And I only care about fat if it's related to decreased beneficial biomarkers. So, you know, things need to change and the metaverse and, you know, the technological advances are interesting because I think with that, we're almost looking for like the biohacking in an easy way out where it really needs to be simplified. So although everything else is maybe getting a little bit more complicated, a little bit more technological, I think when it comes to food, the simpler, the better, let's not make it more complicated, more processed than it needs to be. But unfortunately, 
I don't think that's, you know, the direction that it has been going. So bringing it back, which I love the conversations about like, I mean, ancestral eating and even carnivore, which I know you've experimented with. I mean, there's a lot of merit to keeping it simple. 100%. And you, you just touched on something that I think's super underrated and doesn't get talked about a lot, like just your daily movement. Like everyone thinks it has to be go to the gym, do 10 sets of squats, and like you can't walk for the next week. That's not the case. Um, in fact, like, so part of what we're working on in measuring metabolic health is taking together all of these biomarkers that you can do from the comfort of your own home that have research in thousands of people that, that show like you have an uh, accelerated rate of aging and are more likely to die. And guess what? Steps is one of those. So studies show that on average, the average human being, and this was pre-COVID, I, I can promise you it's, it's less. The average human being walks less than 3,500 steps per day. Um, three, so I, after COVID, I'd probably estimate that's probably closer to 2000 because we were at home a lot more people weren't walking around the office, things like that. Now, if you look at the, the worst percentile, like the, the bottom 10 percentile of people who are most likely to die, um, and what their walking habits are, it's under 3000 steps wow. where, where you really need to be is like 10 to 12,000 plus. And so that people often overlook that and, and complicate things, but like, no, take, take your dog for three walks a day and you can probably hit 10,000 steps and you don't, you, it's not the, the end of the world. It's going to take you maybe 20, 30 minutes and it's super underrated. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, when we talk about you need to be in the gym for an hour and people have these elaborate exercise plans, I mean, a lot of that is compensating for a totally sedentary lifestyle. So if you're not moving at all, all day long, then yeah, you know, maybe you do need to go to the gym for an hour or two, but that's the bare minimum of how we should be moving as humans who are designed to move and then pair that with eating all day long, like six meals a day, the classic, like this is quote, stoking the metabolic fire, which is false, uh, you know, and then high processed foods, fats and carbs that were not like, it just is such a vicious snowballing cycle. And then the inflammation comes and I mean, it's never ending as you know. So yeah, I, I mean, it's been interesting seeing the conversation around COVID specifically and people really fighting to stick to their like nutritional beliefs and choosing to ignore the science, which I want to talk to you more about, but I wanted to touch on something with, um, Aspie, because as you said, for you, your environment is such a, a big part of how you keep yourself well. And I really love that answer because so far, nobody that I've talked to has included who they surround themselves with. And I think that is such a giant part of it. You're going to be a healthier person mentally and physically when you surround yourself with mentally and physically healthy people. So you now have a grow, ever growing team. And so from your like executive staff to contributors, mentors, you know, as a CEO, how have you worked to build that culture? Because I'm sure, you know, healthy, happy people is a huge part of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and to your point on the environment, like there's studies that show that if your spouse or someone close to you in your family that you live with is overweight or obese, you have a 37% chance higher that you will also be. So like, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy how much, much that impacts. Um, but for me, I think what we've done is, is set a pretty 
powerful vision and, and haven't really strayed from that. And I think over the years, you, you start to find people that get attracted to that vision and, and want to buy in because the reality is it's not just, it's not about me. It's not about Jacob. It's about the movement and the, and the uh, impact that we're trying to have. And you attract people that are try that also support and want to have that same impact. Uh, and it's difficult. It's not something that's easy because it's, it's a big vision and it's something that takes a lot of work to get to. But when you find those people, it's truly incredible. And so I think it starts with leading with vision um, and having that clear vision of what you're doing and where you want to go. And then creating an environment in which those people are a part of that vision and can grow with that vision. Yeah, well, and the synergy of a like-minded team is so huge. And uh, yeah, the your tribe, you've created your tribe of people, which is cool. Did you feel like when you started with keto earlier on that you got a lot of backlash, people disagree, like vocally, especially with social media, how has that changed as keto's continued to grow? Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. So when we first came out on social media and started talking about keto, it was all backlash, right? Because a lot of our environment was academia. Uh, people who were in the fitness, academic, hardcore space, and the science was just catching up to it, like we were talking about. So they were super anti-keto, anti-this. Now you have these environments where like countless lives have been changed by living this lifestyle that like now you have a tribe that's like, you've changed my life. Like that's incredible. And like, to me, that's the ultimate sense of fulfillment when you can contribute and serve in that level that like you've literally had an impact on someone's life and you get this and you can build this environment where it's like holy smokes just by doing what we're doing over here we've kind of shifted and have a community over here that that really buys in believes and their life has changed because of that vision or the education or the whatever that you put out uh it's just it's incredible to see it develop yeah, I think I find often when I've worked with clients and they have, like have a very positive experience with keto, instantly they become a keto advocate right. and not in any sort of pushy way. It's just, this is what works and it's the word of mouth and it's anecdotal. And that is like enough to get someone to dip their toe into the research. And I mean, that's how it started with me. I got to the point where once I had kind of absorbed all of the research, which at that time was fairly moderate still. It was mostly outdated research, but you know, even learning what I was able to about disease prevention and longevity, I was like, I can't unsee this. Like knowing what I know now, I can never and would never go back to, you know, a carb-based diet. I always say keto-based, like, you know, I know you bring in carbs from time to time as well. There's a time and a place depending on the person and the reason. But you know, once you experience the effects, it's just so easy to get on that soapbox. And I even have a little like keto infographic, which has a bit of a joke in it. And it's, you know, ways to tell you're in ketosis without testing. And then the like final one is you can't stop talking about keto because really like if you feel, you finally feel good, maybe for the first time in your life. Um, and as per your website, it says like ketosis is a powerful metabolic state that continues to show promise beyond just weight loss. I mean, that's, I think why both you and I are so passionate about it because it's about disease prevention. It's about being healthy now. It's about being healthy in the future. So how do you 
you know, kind of deal with the naysayers or the social media trolls, whatever you'd like to call them when it comes to the conversation about like keto is a fad, it's not sustainable. It's like when I very first started talking publicly about keto, I had people telling me I was being like irresponsible. Like it was dramatic at that point. And now it's much more accepted, but how have you dealt with that? And how do you continue to deal with that? Yeah, I think it's evolved over the time, right? Because when you first are exposed to that um, and you're involved with these people who are hating on you, your immediate reaction is, I want to go back at them, right? Like you get this like fight or flight <laughs> response. And like, if you're competitive, you're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the fight route. Like, um, let and me drop all the journal articles telling you. Yeah, it's just like, and so that happened early on in our careers when we were battling academics, I would always fight, fight, fight. Um, and over time you start to realize like, there's only so many people, like you can only help someone who wants to be helped. And so it's tough when you come from a mindset or a mentality that you truly are putting out this information to help people. Um, like it's a lot of work to put, put yourself out there and talk and educate and provide all this stuff. And like you, you do it because you truly want to help people and, and have this bigger vision. And then you have someone that's like, Oh, like they'll say something dumb and you're like, am I really going to spend time on this individual who will never change their mind? No matter, I could sit them in a room, read that, present them any piece of evidence and they're still not going to change their mind. So it's either you're coming along for the ride and then I'll probably send that person some type of empathetic message, especially if they say something like completely rude, um, because it's more of an outward display of like something probably going on with them. Like if someone just completely radiates heat or hate, it's, it's just like, you know what, there's probably something going on wrong in their life. Like, I'm sorry with whatever you're dealing with, but I hope I wish you the best. Good luck. And usually they'll never say another word. Cause they're like, damn, they were right. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. They're just projecting their dissatisfaction. Yes. I do not. I do not argue. I'm not here to debate you. That's kind of the approach that I took. And that was difficult for me to accept for a long time, but it was, I don't want to accept that this person thinks I don't know what I'm talking about, but also me giving my energy to them is me taking energy away from clients and people who are here and want to learn and want to change. And like you said, if they're unwilling to see the research, they will never see it. And eventually they might, I think it takes time to accept the change, you know, like you plant the seed today and you don't see the, you know, bearing of fruit until a few months later. And I, you know, use a dramatic example, but just to kind of give, I think a tangible visual it's yeah. We used to also think it was normal for doctors to smoke inside of a hospital. And now we think that's absolutely absurd. So there's a time where, yeah, everyone thought keto was crazy and it's slowly every year becoming slightly less absurd. And like, here we are seeing all the positive effects. So it's really great to see it grow. And what do you think are some of the like still existing most common misconceptions when it comes to keto? Oh, I think there's a ton. Um, (laughs) I think the list. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest ones I think that would relate, um, most is that most people think keto is just for weight loss. Um, I still think that that's a big misconception that um, I think we're both trying to help overeducate. It's just most people are just like, oh, I don't need to lose weight. Uh, I'm good. And I'm like, uh, it's not really like, like yeah, that's, that's probably the least interesting benefit of keto that I, that I see. Um, but that's one. And then two, I still see a lot with like the 
oh, but just eating fat is, is, is not good for your heart. Obviously the cholesterol conversations, like I don't hear as much on the ketoacidosis that that'll, that'll come here and there, but more so like the general heart health, like, oh, I can't eat keto. I, I don't, I don't have a great heart. I'm like, well, you probably even more of a reason why you should be eating keto. Um, but th those are probably the main two. Yes. Yeah. Very common. Well, and the fat loss part, that's where metabolic health is often invisible. It doesn't always show you don't have to be obese to be metabolically unhealthy. So is there, if you had to like highlight one, one specific biomarker that you would say is reflective of health, like is blood glucose, something that you think is really reflective of metabolic health, or do you take it a step beyond that? Well, there's, there's definitely a lot more that's involved with it. So we're, we're actually building it out. We're building it out on Aspie and on ketogenic.com. Um, we're building out a tool called Ketogevity that you'll be able to measure all these different markers and calculate your metabolic health and calculate your biological age. Um, because there's different markers that reflect different things. And what most of these things that are out there that claim they can measure your metabolic health, where they fall short is like, cool. If I use my saliva and you can tell me that my telomeres are shorter, great. Like, what does that mean? Right? Because the thing that it fails to take into consideration is that different systems age at different rates. So your muscle tissue ages at a different rate than your brain ages at a different tissue than, than your, your blood glucose levels and, and, and your insulin sensitivity. So you need to factor all those into the entire environment. Um, but I mean, it's hard to say just one, a great marker that is part of our, our process uh, is A1C, like your hemoglobin A1C is a great marker. If you're, if you're insulin sensitive and, and things are kind of working pre-diabetic, or obviously if you've hit type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. And there's, I saw, I forget the name of the company, but someone just recently launched a new home A1C testing. Yes. Um, BioCoach. Oh yeah. And things like that. I mean, and I'm a huge, it's not the be all end all, but if all you can do is test your glucose at home, I mean, that's something everyone can do, you know, why not be doing that? And I think we dramatically overlook how important blood work can be. And unfortunately, I mean, our healthcare systems are very different. You being in the States and me being in Canada. And I think there's limitations to both. I mean, public healthcare, thank goodness, you know, we're very, very blessed, but there's also the challenge and you often can't opt in for certain testing. And so, you know, when it comes to the conversation of cholesterol and as you know, LDL, particle size, all the things, I'm like, we're getting a, the, the most surface level version of the testing and very little interpretation. So with what you guys are developing, are you developing, is it an actual like testing mechanism or just a procedure or if you're able to expand on it if it's in time. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it'll be a platform. So it'll literally be like at first, eventually it'll get to an app form, but basically you'll be able to go on, literally fill it out, enter in all of your markers, and then it'll spit out like where your score is, what your biological age is. And then really the, the hardest part or the biggest part is now what's a roadmap to improve that. So great. You've told me I, I, I might stink in my strength right? Or I might not be great in my general health markers, which include things like steps, my stress, all these things. That's great. But like, what do I do? Like now it's, and so that's the second piece is now you need to provide a roadmap and say, all right, cool. Like your stress is really 
negating a lot of the benefits and, and it's taking effect on your metabolic health. What's something, what are some things that you can do to buffer stress? Um, all, so it's a whole roadmap piece. Okay. Wow. So if someone's getting a blood wreck from their physician, getting their responses, putting them into your platform, and then it's doing the calculations and then having, yeah, a personalized recommendation. And it's amazing. I, I struggle with this all the time as a coach. And this is one of the reasons I've like am pursuing public health, but you know, the mental health is isolated from the physical health is isolated from what's happened. Like in, it's just all so dispersed and it needs to all be considered as one. Like it's just so interconnected. And so you can't deal with the metal, mental health without dealing with the physical health. And, you know, so this sounds incredible. Do you have a goal date for when this is happening? I'm hoping that uh, the ketogenity score will be ready probably within the first week of first two weeks of January. Whoa. So this is like right around the corner. Okay. Well, obviously I'll be sharing whenever this comes to fruition. How amazing. So obviously that's a big part of your focus right now. Is there any other like new up and coming research that you're doing within like the keto sphere, as well as ASPE that you're able to share with us? What's your main interest at the time? Yeah, we're doing some stuff on keto and cognition. So looking at the benefits of keto, um, uh, ketogenic diets, exogenous ketones, the combination um, on cognitive benefits. So that's an area we're exploring and testing in the lab right now. Uh, and then we're also doing just on Aspie front, we're doing some tests on certain ingredients or, or, or supplements that uh, we're doing a trial right now with COVID, for example, of does it lower binding site capacity for COVID? Um, so are there ways we know not to get too technical, but like, we know that the, there's a cell, right? Everyone knows a cell. And then there's transporters that transport into the cell. Um, there are certain transporters known as ACE2 receptors that are very high in people who are chronically inflamed. It's actually not a bad thing. ACE2 is actually a good thing. It's helping transport inflammation in and out. The problem is guess where COVID binds? ACE2. So the people who are highly susceptible or chronically inflamed have a ton of receptors that COVID binds to. So hence why they're having a lot more complications. So if you can have something that can not completely negate that ACE2 receptor, but prevent COVID specifically from binding to it, theoretically, you can lower its, its ability to transmit and replicate. Wow. That sounds incredibly interesting. And the, I mean, the keto and cognition side of things, that's one of the main reasons I originally started keto. And to me, and you hear this all the time, it was literally like the fog lifted. And to the point where I'm like, I can't imagine writing a test or having a conversation like this, not being in ketosis my brain feels like it's running through mud if I'm on a carb-based diet. And you know, like truly not to be dramatic, obviously I'm pro keto, but it's just, it's an easy choice for me. And that's where if you're focused just on the fat loss, I mean, it really, you're just missing so many of the various benefits. So what an awesome, I mean, so cool to be able to do that testing in-house. And I know you guys do lots of testing with like athletes, I mean, high performers, Tony Robbins, not to name names. So what are the types of focuses that you're like specifically interested in when you're testing with individual people or does everyone have their own goal or do you have goals for them? It's usually everyone comes in with something different, right? So most of the individuals we work with 
are just trying to operate at a super high level. So when you're dealing, it's, that's why it's, it's easy to have a, have an effect. And I say easy in quotations, but it's easy to have an effect when you get someone who's just trying to lose 10 pounds and, and it's just like, all right, well, that's their goal, right? What's more difficult is when you have these high level people who are already in the top 1% and you need to improve their performance by 0.05%, right? But for them, that's the difference between sitting on the sideline or being a, a, a starter in, in some football league, right? Or it's a difference between Tony being able to do X amount of shows versus being exhausted and not being able to do them, which is a huge difference in the grand scheme of things. So it's, it's about, and this is why in the research world, it comes down to being able to have a level of precision in what you can have that impact is like the smallest thing for them could mean the world. Whereas that same difference, if you were to say, take that same difference and put it into to like a gen pop or someone who's trying to lose 10 pounds, it would be an enormous difference. So we've had to learn both ends of the spectrum of like, how do you take the principles from science and research, but be able to apply that to someone who's trying to make the most minute change possible. Right. And I think you do an amazing job of that. I mean, from the keto mastery program, which I was a part of, and you have the, you know, the educational building blocks for people who, whether they just want to know the basics for themselves or, you know, the keto Bible, same thing, you understand the basics. And so the most general person who is starting from ground zero, totally metabolically unhealthy, never done a ketogenic diet in their life. You know, there's a resource for those people, there's resources for people like me, and then all the way up to, you know, the incredibly elite. So you're really covering all of the bases. And I think it's a beautiful thing because you still make keto so tangible and it can be incredibly overwhelming. I mean, for most people, it's you're changing your lifestyle and changing years of beliefs in terms of nutrition. As you said, you are an athlete. It's a big shift to be like, oh, we don't need carbs to function and you will survive without carbs. So, um, what do you think the future of keto looks like? Do you think there's a specific direction that we're heading? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's, it's a great question. And I, I was actually thinking about doing like an entire webinar on this because talking with people, keto in general over the last year has kind of plateaued. Like you don't see a lot of more buzz about it. It's not in every single magazine as it, as it was in 2020. Um, and it's, it's plateaued. I think it's about to take off again with, with January and people wanting to change. But for me, I think it's shifting, not changing, but shifting the conversation from solely of I'm doing keto to lose 10 pounds or look at how much I lost with keto. And that's, that's great. There's a ton of people who have lost a hundred plus pounds and that's incredible. They're entirely new people, but it's shifting that conversation to the other benefits that keto can have. Um, and it doesn't even need to be the cognitive benefit. Like one, one that I'm sure you experience as well is like, for me, I was, I was always chasing because you know, we have to always be on top of our mental performance game. But like, I was never truly looking for like fat loss that came as a side effect. But you know, what was even cooler to me or, or even more beneficial was the fact that I wasn't eating six or seven meals a day. Like that was exhausting. It was exhausting me to, for me every hour and a half to go make oatmeal and put protein powder in it. And it's like the amount of productivity that I've been able to have in my life, the amount of time that I've been able to spend with 
family, friends, my dog that is not, and you don't, you don't even think about it. You're like, oh, well, eating's just quick. It adds up when you're eating six times a day versus you're eating twice, very big difference and compounded over weeks or months or years. That's a lot of time given back to you. I can't agree more. And I talk about that as a benefit of fasting. Obviously there's all of the amazing metabolic and physiological benefits of fasting, but I'm like time freedom. And so for me, keto is food freedom. I work with many clients who have had, you know, disordered relationships with food and food freedom is a goal in many ways, both mentally and physically, not being physically dependent on blood glucose fluctuations and having to eat constantly. And yes, when I went from bodybuilding and eating six or seven meals a day, so three meals in often before noon to fasting to noon, I was like, Oh my God, like, this is amazing. I've got all the time in the world and got so much done. So yeah, an amazing benefit. And also I generally think too, when you're eating like that, it does tend to be more affordable if you're doing it properly, which is in my opinion, whole foods based keto. There's a way to do keto where it's packaged and processed and generally going to add up more quickly in terms of financial investment. But if you're doing basic keto, eating two meals a day, generally it's a lot more affordable and you don't have to pay to get chicken breast for every meal, which I think is a bonus. So, uh, yeah, I love that. And I say truly like, and it's a bold statement, but I say that I think ketones are the fuel of the future. Like, I really think more and more people are going to be moving in this direction. Like it's just so hard to ignore. So, um, a couple final questions. Do you think keto is right for everyone? So I think, I think keto can be beneficial for everyone. Um, I'm strongly, strongly, um, against the concept that every single human being on the face of the planet needs to be keto. There are some people in this world that are extremely insulin sensitive and they thrive off of having a high amount of carbohydrates. And that is fantastic. The reality is that's not the majority of the population. Uh, the majority of the population does not do well eating a carbohydrate rich diet and are more, we are more insulin resistant as a society than we are super insulin sensitive. Um, so I say that to say, listen, if you're a high level performer or you're someone who just absolutely thrives off of carbohydrates, you're not someone who gets that brain fog. You're an incredible performer on, on playing football on Sunday or have or an inc- a huge athlete, then by all means, do your thing. Like, that's great. Will you always be that way? When you're, when you're 40, 50 years old, will your degree of insulin sensitivity change? Sure. And that might be in a, a time where you're like, I'm not thriving off of carbohydrates as much. Now I need to switch my fuel source. So I think there's a huge degree of bioindividuality um, and everyone kind of needs to figure out what works best for them. Yeah. I tend to agree. I'm very like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. If you can be more optimal and there's room for improvement, like let's try to improve and, uh, you know, again, varying degrees of it. So a couple areas of advice I'd love to have you share with me and the listeners are like your, first of all, your best advice for those looking to start keto. And then also just your best advice for future scientists, academics, entrepreneurs. So I'll start with the first one, best advice of where to start for keto and I, I'm super bullish on this, you need to find your anchor. Um, there's so much information that's out there, whomever it is. Um, if it's Callie, if it's, if, it's, if it's me, if it's Joe, my, whoever it is that you are like, I love what this person does. 
I trust the information they're, they're putting out, anchor to them and say, you know what, I'm going to just absorb and soak up everything that they do. Not that you can't listen to other people, but like what happens is complexity is the, the enemy of execution, right? So when you're hearing Aunt Sally tell you, oh, I've done keto, I just eat bacon and eggs. And then you have Uncle Mike who's like, oh, I'm doing keto too. I'm just eating Big Macs without the bun. You're sitting here like, what do I do? Do I eat the eggs and bacon? Do I eat the Big Mac without the bun? I want to eat a salad, but like they don't eat that. So is that okay? So it's just so much. And you, you ultimately go nowhere. You don't take that first step because you're just so overwhelmed. So I would tell someone, find your anchor, trust in it, learn and start with a proper foundation because versus just jumping off the deep end and being like, I'm swimming for, for two days. And then all of a sudden you're like, where am I? Then you're, you just end up lost. Great advice. Yeah. It's easy to get diluted because like anything, even within the keto sphere, there are different ideations, different recommendations. So I think that's amazing advice. Uh, and then the second piece was for uh, academics and researchers and entrepreneurs. Yeah. Just general advice. Um, the number one, and, it, and it's something that probably won't take you a day. It's something that'll take you could take you a month, could take you a year, could take you multiple years, um, is find your why, number one, and then find what sets your heart and your soul on fire. Um, and it's not, so, and, and I know it sounds like fairy tale-ish. It's every day I don't wake up and be like, oh my God, this is the best day. Like there's going to be some really tough days, but those are the days that you realize, like, you know what, I'm still put, that's the, those are the days you anchor to your why. And it's like, yeah, it's tough. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I have a ton of stuff to do, or this didn't get done and I have to do it. But my why is so big that it pulls me versus me feeling like I'm pushing all the time or I'm lost and I'm trying to do something. So I would say, Find what your why is and take a, take some time to do it. And don't just say, you know what, I want to look better so I can get more dates on Tinder, right? Like that's not a strong enough why, because guess what? When you get one date, you're done. Like <laughs> find really, like if it's like, I want to be the best mom and shining example for my kids, that's a why that when you are in the, in the mud and you're struggling and things are tough, you can anchor to that and go, this is worth it. This is worth it to keep fighting through. Um, and, and that alone will help pull you through some, some tough times because there will be some. Absolutely. I feel like that's some Simon Sinek inspired advice. Okay. Yep. And so speaking up, we're going to do wrap it up with quick rapid fire, five rapid fire questions. So who is your biggest role model? Um, I would say if you need to pick like more than more than one, cause you can't pick favorites. That's okay. <laughs> I have, I have a lot. I, for, I've been very fortunate that I have uh, a lot of great mentors in my life. Um, my biggest role model that's probably had the biggest impact on me besides my, my parents is probably my grandmother and just the way she treated people um, that can, can inspire me and, and has helped shape my life more than anything. Amazing. And what's the best advice you've ever received? um be here now is probably i have it tattooed on my arm um it's it's the importance of being present in the moment kind of like what i was saying you can get so wrapped up in the past or the future that you forget like i'm right here in this moment be here yeah that allows room for gratitude truly yeah. 
best book or resource you'd recommend to people? Feel free to self. The ketogenic Bible is assumed. <laughs> that one's great. Um, I think in general, um, how to win friends and influence people is one of my classic. favorites. Um, it's a classic. I read it every year, but it's, it's absolutely one of the best books out there. Good one. And what's your personal mantra or words to live by? Maybe you already shared it. Uh, make positivity louder is something it's kind of like my mantra. I think so, especially, uh, in today's world, we're so wrapped up in the negative and people accentuate the negative that I think there's, there's some good stewards of, of positivity that it just deserves to be louder. Um, because there's a lot of people who are going through some tough times that if, if they had positive role models around them, it could create this ripple effect and kind of create a positive movement through the world. Absolutely. And I mean, you do that every single day for sure. And I have to share one of the kind of mini personal mantras I have is adopted from you. And I say it, I share it all the time and it's don't ruin good for perfect. You started our keto mastery course with that. And I was like, jot it down, highlight. And it just was one of those ones that stuck with me. And now I think complexity is the enemy of execution, which I had to write down as soon as you said it also going to be newly adopted. So last but not least, least, if people want to learn more about you, what you've got going on, all of your various endeavors, where is the best place to find you? Probably on, uh, on Instagram, it's at Ryan P. Lowry, um, or anything, um, for keto resources or anything, ketogenic.com, but either one of those, uh, I'm, pro- I'm the most responsive there. Yeah. And we'll link all your resources to my site too. So finally, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I'm so grateful and I hope we'll chat again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I'll talk you to you bet. soon. That's all the time we have together this week. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with me and Dr. Lowry. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode each Sunday. And please don't forget to rate and review so it helps other people find the podcast as well. As always, you can find me, Kelly, on Instagram and Facebook at KY Wellness. More details about this episode and all previous episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. Don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. See you next week and keep yourself well.